Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for some of those Smash Mouth records. Oh, no. No, who are we kidding? Smash Mouth is awesome. They're anti-homophobia and they're pro-cunnilingus. What's not to love? You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. music is recorded on tape, it's just pieces of ferrous oxide on plastic. What tape did and what recording did for music was to turn a transient medium into a plastic medium. Brown eyes and I were tired, we had walked and we had scrambled through the moors and through the briars, through the endless it isn't the instrument that's going to give you the answer. It's never the instrument that gives you the answer. The answer always comes from you somewhere, and the instrument is a way of externalizing that. Over the nights and through the fires, we went surging down the wires, through the towns and on the highways, through the storms in all their thundering. The thing on it is now we are live Whew. live and in person we are live this is a live broadcast whenever you're listening to this it's happening right now whenever you press play wherever paul and i are yes we get sucked out of that situation <laughs> back into the room we recorded this that's oddly the plot of uh, bill and ted three did you know that i did not yeah I also just made it up. So it's... Who's playing the Carlin character? Does anyone know yet? Oh, that's a good Is question. this going to date this? Maybe. I'm going to undate it by saying I already know because I just went to the future wow. in between wow. those two sentences. And you're going to be shocked. I love this show so much. I would date it. I... <clears throat> Where would you take the show on the first date? The pizza parlor. <laughs> the... <laughs> Do they they don't call things parlors anymore? I miss the word parlor. We'll just start using it more often. And everyone on this show should use it more often. We should Say have. it once this week to a friend mm. or enemy. Is it too late to change this show's name to the record parlor? No, certainly not. Thank you. It could be episode twelve, the <laughs> record parlor. Welcome back to the record parlor. Every stream we give, we'll buy 10 large pizzas mm-hmm. to an enemy. To an enemy? Yes. Wow. Ding dong. Here's your 10 large pizzas, but we we're not going to pay for them. Do you think the new Musical Express understands that their acronym sounds like enemy? I never thought of that. I bet they do. Do they embrace it? Well, they're British, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... I'd say so. 
Oh, it's this kind of Abbott and Costello style banter that you've come to expect here on Welcome the record back. parlor. You've made it back to the record parlor. <laughs> for episode 12. Oh, you brought me a doozy today, um, Ryan. Regretting this. I'm loving Said it. Nobody that I oh. know that is me okay. about this episode. Good. I learned a lot. About... I learned a lot, too. Yeah. We're talking about Brian Eno's Another Green World, folks. Yeah, this is our last record exchange of the season, and we began on a strange note with Todd Rundgren's A Wizard, A True Star, and we're ending on, I would say, a similarly strange note, although not bad in any way. Not as weird as Todd. Begat and begended. Yeah, with... Are those... Oh, is that... Can I say that? You begin... No. How you do you say, say end in that old-timey sort of way? Fin. F-I-N-E, you know, and they Reminds do that. me of Barney Gumble and the Simpsons instantly. <laughs> Instant. Gumble. They found me on the men's room floor. <laughs> and then he cries because it, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Uh, so Chora, good. Laura, Laura. So Roxy Music was a band <laughs> way back when, way back when I was me doing some Brian Ferry. Brian Eno was in this band. Yeah, I didn't know that. Played synthesizers, <laughs> and he has all sorts of very bizarre credits on those records. Treatments and sonic majig of things. And yeah. He's a self-proclaimed non-musician, but he's one of the most prolific and best-selling record producers of all and every time. Sure. Roxy Music, much like my knowledge of Brian Eno before listening to this record, is a great big black hole in my musical vocabulary. Much like Doctor Who is a great big black hole in my nerd vocabulary, or like Dune. Same. Same on Doctor Who. There are things I just don't know about. And Roxy Music is a big one for me that I just never really got into. Although it was funny, I was listening to an interview with Paul McCartney recently, Mm -hmm. and he was talking in 73 about how the Beatles did one big giant circle, and how at that time he was saying, it's the start of what people like Bowie... And Roxy Music, hmm. and he called out those two specifically are doing now. I guess in '73, so he, oh, it's, definitely Bowie then, sure. But it was interesting that he he made that distinction for those acts. The, hmm. I guess the later '60s, early '70s, more down to earth rock and roll. You're like bare bones stuff, or no, like actually starting the musical circle that the beat. You know, like the I the rise, the coming down from the. The hometown yeah. into the city and then doing the rise and then with the worldwide fame. I understand. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Roxy Music, I could spend an episode talking about Roxy Music. I, I won't. The famous, I don't know if you'd call it a story. Almost, It's more of an anecdote. Brian Eno on stage, Roxy Music, mm-hmm. when he was in the band, playing keyboards, synthesizers and treatments and treating people's guitars with all of his doodads and who's a what's it's. Yeah. He realized that he needed to leave the band because in the middle of a performance, on stage live, big audience, singing about his laundry. <laughs> yeah. When's my, do I have, how much laundry do I have left? Oh, wow. Do, do, I have much, do I have enough underwear to get me to, to get me to Friday? Those types of thoughts. If there's not a sign that you're waiting for, that's it. That's 
a sign. Seriously. The sign. Seriously. Time to move on. Right. And so, long story short, Brian launched his solo career. And for those of you who don't know, Brian Eno has he's collaborated with artists Robert Fripp, Harold Budd, Cluster, Bowie on his famous Berlin trilogy. Yeah. Oh, I love those records. Sure. David Byrne, who's worked with John Cale, The Talking Heads, famously. You two, Laurie Anderson. Grace Jones, Coldplay, James Blake, still producing. He is unbelievable. Yeah. What he's most famous for in his solo career is ambient music. Yes. Some credit him to... Have created the genre. The entire genre. Yeah. And these are records, music for airports. Right. And it's just another... He was on... So I, I, I don't know what airport... Because I've heard so many different versions of this story. I'm sure there's a definitive version that I'll get corrected on. Yeah. He was moving through an airport. And as a touring musician, you're in airports all the time. He realized it was just silent. And the music that, that was being played when it wasn't silent was just noise. Or that music type yeah. of thing that was in elevators and stuff. He's like, we need to design music for this space. Wow. It should be calm. It should be about travel. It should be about technology. Wow. And yeah, this and so he's a thinker. Yeah. Almost as much of a musician or producer. Along the same lines as Todd. Definitely. Yeah. Eno, I would argue, is more of a deleter. Oh. And Todd is more of a how much shit yeah. can I put <laughs> in this? Yeah. Oh, that's the limit. I'm gonna put twice as much shit because I'm a contrarian and also fuck you. Basically. Basically. And can you dye the middle of my head yeah. a skunk white? <laughs> so I got a skunk look going on. Mm -hmm. I wondered the feeling that you got a strong sense of geographical location when you listened to the piece of music. You felt that it was in dark trees or over Fire Island or, you know, it was in some landscape, in some environment. If you listen to a pop record, it's designed in such a way that it wants to command your attention. It wants to arrest your attention for a while. I thought that it was interesting to make music that offered you more choices than that. Music where you could be completely engaged or that you could move out of, but that would still carry on in the background. Again, this was widely interpreted as being background music. <laughs> that isn't what I meant. I meant background or foreground music. So Eno, in 2019, was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but as a member of Roxy Music. Oh... So before I dig into more of the history of this record, I found this record in college and I didn't like it when I first was handed it. I didn't get it. I liked pop songs. Yeah. I liked well-constructed lyrics, things that told stories. Yeah. And you get little glimmers of that on Another Green World, but yes. it's certainly not the focus. No, definitely not. And so... Eno had been tooling around town, playing with a bunch of people, writing songs. He had several, several records before this. And one of them was just the ambient music, right? Like the one just before this was just ambient the music? The one right before this record called Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy. Okay. And it was, man, oh man. I believe that it starts with a record called Here Come the Warm Jets in 1974. Okay. There is a record in 73, which is Fripp and Eno. 
And it was the first of the three major collaborations between the two of them. There's a lot of this cross-pollination of these. And Fripp was in King Crimson. Right. And he was more or less a music consultant Mm -hmm. on guitar for a lot of it. He invented this thing called Frippertronics. (laughs) You ever heard of that? No. It's a very, very specific tape looping style. Designed specifically for dolphins. Correct. (laughs) So, I mean, these are musicians, musicians. These are yeah. thinking men. These Fripp, are... is, Fripp is on this record too, right? Another Green World? Yes. I just, yeah. Yes. He's and one of like a few. Like there's not many yes, other people on this. Yes, I should probably talk about the album we're talking about, shouldn't I? Oh, no, no, no. But I was just, I, he was a name I remembered of the collaborators from this. So I just was right. confirming he is. But... Oh, no, all good. Yeah. All good. Yeah, Robert Fripp is definitely on this record. And so this is Brian's third studio album. Released September 1975 on Island Records, produced by Brian Eno and Rhett Davies. Now, Rhett Davies, he either produced and or engineered, because you'll see later Brian is playing on a lot of these tracks. So Davies did Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. Hence the Phil Collins getting Exactly. A bunch of Roxy music records, including Viva, Manifesto, Flesh and Blood, Avalon, High Road, a bunch of Brian Ferry solo records. Robert Palmer records. He worked with Eno on the previous record, Taken Tiger Mountain by Strategy. And, mm-hmm. he, and he's on my favorite Eno record, which is Ambient One, the music for airports record I talked about. Yeah. So on, I could keep listing names, Dire Straits, Talking Heads, B-52s, Split Ends. These are some of my favorite artists yeah. from this era. You like the art rockers. I do like an art rock. I like or two. that about you. You know that? You, I'd I like... catch an art rock or two in the skull every once in a game. <laughs> I like that. A lot of people, uh, they look down on the art rockers or maybe think that it's pretension, but I find it usually, more often than not, it's curiosity. Correct. And even if there's an overreach, at least they tried. And then you know what? That sound is usually going to pop up on a bunch of other records in the next mm, five years. Exactly. Or more. Exactly. So I share your affection for art rockers. Sometimes they take me a while. Like Talking Heads took me a while to get into. Once I did, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. It has to click because you have to climb a learning curve to understand the perspective of the songwriter. Bingo. Yeah, uh, right on the head. We talked about fiery furnaces earlier this season. I think those are art rockers to a large degree. Similar thing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of Bowie, Fripp, Eno, yeah. John Cale in exactly what you just mentioned. But this guy, so Eno's funny to me because I didn't realize he was a glam guy. Yeah, long hair. Didn't know that. He was wearing closer to feminine styles. Yeah. And some say, some of a theory, and I'm going to get in trouble for this, some say because Eno was losing his hair. When he started losing his hair, he felt he, he couldn't pull any of that off anymore. Yeah. And that's where the ambient music came from. That's not true. Okay. Eno was hit by a car. Oh. And when he was in the hospital, just like we spoke about with Stuart, there was this newfound appreciation for his life. And that's where the ambient music began to trickle in. Interesting. Looking for healing. So the superficiality of the glam maybe took a back seat. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Again, I came into this cold. Eno has been circling my periphery for a while now. You have been talking about him for a long time. I feel like a lot of other people have been talking about him, but I I knew nothing about it. So last, it's funny, last night I'm going in looking, just trying to do a deep dive and into as much as I could to prepare for this. And 
I it, it shocked me. He looks like Edgar Winter, but like yeah. pretty Edgar Winter, like very <laughs> handsome, striking man. I go to my wife. I was like, man, Ryan's got me listening to this album. It's really blowing my mind. And and um, she's like, what is it? I said, it's it's Brian Eno. She's like, oh, I know Brian Eno. And I was <laughs> even my wife, who doesn't like yeah. any music, I like was like knew who Brian Eno was. Pulls she's, out her vinyl yeah. copy of what you're listening to, Well Worn. We've been listening to this for 10 years. Well, she's a huge Bowie fan. Well, that's it, okay, exactly fan. it right then. So right that's there. the connection. Yeah, the Berlin trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Which I also love. I just didn't really, I don't know, for whatever. He's in the background. Yes. He makes ambient music. He's a producer. He doesn't want the limelight. That's it. My direction has always been... Um, equally concerned with ideas as with records, I suppose, or with the musical artifacts that arose from those ideas. Let me rub these bumps off my head from yeah. these art rocks. Go ahead and rub the bumps. So for Fripp's me, on the record. He was in King Crimson. Okay, so hold on. Art rock. Art rock is not prog rock, or is it? I think there's a distinction there. I do too. Yes. Prog rock, that can go on for a long time. And there's noodling and it just turns and, and yes. pivots. Art rock, usually, usually there is sort of a form. If they're not mocking it or turning it on its head or reinterpreting it, it sounds most of the time art rock, like 50s rock and roll to me, but with different technology and stuff has been spun around. and Yeah. It's on its head. That could be wrong. Deconstructed. Deconstructed and reconstructed with the times. Yes. Belongs in a museum where prog rock belongs on a stage. I think that is how I would primarily yeah, distinguish there you them. go. That's where really good. You think of any a number of these bands like Yes or even ELO. You don't put that in a museum. But this is meant to be quietly enjoyed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is meant for a moment of self-reflection yeah. about your own soul and the universe and shit. There's some installation he has in a mountain somewhere that's meant to play for <laughs> centuries <laughs> it's playing right now and will play for centuries until the earth explodes i love that yeah Eno is rad yeah. he takes you there mentally and maybe this is controversial to say i like talking about Eno and thinking about the, his thoughts sometimes when i like listen to his record sure no, i get you're that not, you're not always like i'm gonna go on a 10 mile run for 10 hours and I'm going to listen to a tone for 10 hours. Yes. <laughs> My heart rates up. Yeah. <laughs> but even this one. My knees just blew out. <laughs> <laughs> even this one, which I would say is fairly accessible, is still, it. it's funny, when you give me records sometimes, some are easier or I find it easier to pick places and times to listen to them. Yeah. This one had to be under a very specific set of circumstances. Yeah. It couldn't be on a run, like you said. Yeah. I took my daughter for a walk in the stroller listening to this, and I started thinking, reevaluating my <laughs> life and California. And I started slipping into this weird place. I was like, I don't, I can't be here right now. Like, I had to, It wasn't that I had a, a, an adverse reaction to the record. I was just like physically, I can't be here right now. Yeah. There's it makes a, you think. It does. In a good, in a very good, in a way. very good way. Yeah, very, very, very good way. I don't. Uh, maybe we'll get to this when we talk about the tracks. But when I listened to this for the first time, I started to tear up. Interesting. There was a track I've that had, made me tear up, and I've I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I still, I don't, still don't know why. Yeah, he just pours himself into it, and I, I think it's a lot of the writers and artists that he's working with. 
you know, Fripp, as I mentioned, only 600 times up until this point, and then Phil Collins and John Cale, whose music is very emotional. Remember the Velvet Underground? Yes, uh, yes. A fantastic producer in his own right. Phil Collins makes me cry for other reasons. So Eno, long story short, because we are, if you're looking at your podcast clocks, we should be getting into these tracks any second. Eno had almost nothing from the studio. He had a a little bit of a song that came from a jam session we'll get into. So the first several days in the studio, he didn't do anything. I was blown away to hear that. So Eno, with another artist, created this thing called the Oblique Strategies, and they're cards. Mm -hmm. Which keen listeners of the Now Hear This podcast slash the Record Parlor cast will remember that we read from these cards and Ryan sang a song using these cards yeah. in episode, I don't remember, it was either two or three. Maybe it was one. Who can recall? Who can recall except for those with the scorecards? Yes. At home. <laughs> now it's the time to take out your scorecards. Take out your now NHS yeah. scorecards and, and tally up the points. So the you already know about the oblique strategy. So he's using these to make lyrical, vocal, production, yeah. all of these different decisions that normally you'd sit and you'd talk to your, so what do you want to do? He, he would oh, pick a card, mm-hmm. breathe more deeply or whatever they say. Okay, let's do that. There are cards that have suggestions on them that cause yes. you to uh, rearrange your thinking. One of them was, it's gardening, not architecture, as I recall. One of them That's was, consider transitions. A whole lot of interesting prompts that rearrange your perspective. Definitely. So the album was recorded July and August 1975 was also released in 1975, as I said earlier. Eno viewed this new album as an experiment, and he entered the recording studio with nothing prepared. Four days, failed to be productive at all. So they went to these cards that they first used on Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy. So something must have happened between these two periods. Yeah. And unlike the previous two solo records, which I also love, there were many, many guests contributing to this album. And Eno also worked on material completely alone. A lot mm. of these records are just Brian making all of the sounds, even if he's not singing. Which does remind me of another Brian. And a lot of this stuff reminded me of another Brian we talked about on this season, Brian Wilson. And there's some Wilson-y things going Definitely, on yeah. in places. I think yeah. Brian Eno is doing what Brian Wilson might have wound up doing had he had the support. And right. I'm happy to, to see somebody else got to it. Man, imagine that. Brian Wilson turning in something like this. I know. Hmm. So, right. The lyrics, some of them are straightforward, some of them are not. And I could go through this research, but I think we should just dive into the first track. Well, should we take a dive into the bullet corner first, oh, Ryan? Son of a, <laughs> son of a gee whiz. <laughs> it's Paul's bullet corner in the record parlor. Ah! Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. I never get over those bullet shots. Uh, so this is where I come up with a couple bullet points for the records as I'm listening to them. And they're always insane. So we have my first one here. I have only three for this one. <clears throat> a not-so-mad professor over his bubbling cauldron of leaves blowing against my flannel coat in the golden <laughs> past. Oh, my God. Are you all right? (laughs) 
Paul's holding two fists on the table. <laughs> I was literally yeah. doing that. Oh, boy. It's getting hot in this room. Musical lysergic acid for the select few who open their hearts. Oh, I love that. A little of Montreal nod, perhaps? A little. Oh, I love them. I love them. I know you do. Upright and downright, the wind on your face and a hole in your heart. Whoa. You were really thinking. I said heart twice in this, and I think it's because I felt something in my heart for this record. For the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Day of your wedding? Nope. Nope. Childbirth? Ah, Hearing sky saw. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That was it. That did it. So that's been Paul's Bullet Corner. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. So speaking of those saws blazing through the sky, that's track one in this record. Phil Collins on drums, believe it or not. Yeah. Percy Jones on a fretless bass. Paul Rudolph on an anchor bass. Not exactly sure what that means. You're going to see a lot of that on this record. Ron Melvin on Rhodes. Kale on viola. And then Eno playing the snake guitar. Okay. The digital guitar. Ooh. And vocals. So that explains a lot because I wasn't sure sometimes throughout this record if I was listening to synthesizer or guitar. I believe that in the studio, well, Brian Eno plays a studio like an instrument, like Todd Rundgren, like you're talking about. So in Roxy Music, he was treating a lot of these electric or acoustic instruments electronically with effects, pedals, synthesizers. And there's a famous story in the studio where Brian Eno broke his, one of his keyboards. Uh It was an accident, but he purposely left a note on it because he liked the way the broken version of the keyboard sounded. Wow. So he didn't want his tech to repair it. Yeah. I don't know if it's been repaired since. But this is a guy that does, he's not interested in your box. Mm. He's going to think himself out of it or just ignore it completely. Sure. Yeah. And so that's where snake guitar, digital guitar come from. It's the, the sound it makes as much as the right. image that you get from the description. Again, production was something that you could approach in two different ways. You could either say that the role of a producer is to make the most accurate possible record of a performance or the role of a producer is to use the studio as an instrument which somehow um, bound together and made the best of the instruments that were given in the performance and if this meant completely destroying the raw material and building something new out of its ashes kind of thing I was prepared to do that as well this track is a little bass line that's going along the whole song and then the rest of the track is changing what did you think about this song funky uh, it's there's funk that drips off this album in weird ways and some really exceptional bass playing which i think is helping me with this yes. record it helped me along held my hand through some of the weirder moments that there's a really nice rhythm section going on and sometimes he uses and not on this track but sometimes he uses the bass as the drums right and it's very interesting and super compelling and really accessible. My first note on this one is somebody find that bumble fuzz synth mm-hmm. he's using and inject it into my ears forever, please. <laughs> he uses it throughout the album to great effect. Yeah. Although I guess here it's fairly literally to evoke a 
saw, a, yes. a sky saw, uh-huh. but it's really nice. And there are times when I can't tell what instrument is being played and like we just mentioned, but I love it anyway and I sort of don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he treats vocals in that fade out at the end there is is really nice and Phil Collins did a great job on the drums. Really like this track a lot. Yeah. It sets us up for the rest of the record. The first verse, all the clouds turn to words, all the words float in sequence. No one knows what they mean. Everyone just ignores them. Yeah. He's saying, yeah, yeah I'm going to say a bunch of stuff. Doesn't sure. mean much. Just enjoy the ride. And and here's what's what I found interesting about his lyric writing process is he was making sounds while recording this just to go along with the music and then added lyric to it later based on what those sounds were. So some of it was a little happenstance mm-hmm. in a way. And I think McCartney does that too. Yeah, definitely. There's a line in Letting Go where he says, like a Lucifer, you'll always shine, which is ridiculous, but it fit the lyrical rhythm. So we kept it. Same here. And, and I think it's actually used to great effect. And even if they are at times nonsensical, you can create a sense out of it. You yeah. can come up with a plot in your own head as to why he's saying it. Exactly. And the quote I pulled from Eno, since everyone just ignores the words anyway, <laughs> it makes no difference if they're meaningless. <laughs> Which is essentially what I just said, but boiled yeah. right down. We, we got you right there. So Eno was inspired by a number of sources on this song, on this whole album, most likely. The phonetic poetry of Hugo Ball and Kurt Schwitters, as well as Hilaire Belloc's Tarantella. Hugo Ball wrote the poem Izimbra, and that was set to music by Eno and Byrne on the Fear of Music album by the Talking Heads. So again, okay. cross-pollination, art rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, what are you looking on? What are we working on? It's all... And Belloc was the French Nazi sympathizer that helped attack Indiana Jones, right? That's right. We're going to get nothing but Nazi sympathy here. Belloc! <laughs> Belloc! I can still hear Harrison Ford's guttural Belloc right now. Belloc. <laughs> Maybe... My new text sound when you... <laughs> Belloc, oh, Paul. Belloc. Paul's here, everybody. Belloc. I'm, I'm happy he started the album with this song because it's one of, I want to say four on the record that feel more like songs that we know. It, right, right, right. So right. he does understand you do have to help people through, like you do have to hold somebody's hand through this museum that he set up. Yeah. Yeah. So after that first verse, and we'll move on to the next song, I just want to, just if you read these lyrics, to his point, Mao Mao starter ching ching dada, <laughs> daughter daughter dumpling data, pack and pick the ping pong starter, Carter, Carter, go get Carter. <laughs> and, it goes on, and, it co- and it goes on like that. So Brian oh. Eno, Sky Saw. I love it. More. More. I very, say. very, very interesting. More Next so. track, Over Fire Island. I like this one. Philly Collins again. Mm. Drums, Percy Jones. Philly Collins is the Philadelphia Phil Collins. And That's right. He is a real asshole. He's not as nice <laughs> as the very mean <laughs> Phil Collins. Hey, I'm Philly Collins. That's, that's very close. Hand me that John over there. Give me that uh, the John. I'd like those of the Parmesan. I, I love the Eagles, not the band, the footballers. If I'm in Philadelphia, is there a sandwich somewhere called the Collins? Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Phil Collins. <laughs> this is just a bunch of ball bearings on bread. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody give this sandwich a Grammy right now. You want me to die. I Suit, understand. Uh, jacket is required for this one. Yeah, oh, wow. So, yeah, so <laughs> Percy Jones back on fretless bass, Eno vocals, synthesizer, guitars, and tapes. It's a very pleasant instrumental. I love the bass. Here and gone, you know? Yes, the bass is back. Love it. It, Not very long. Even when there's no vocal to guide it, the message of the song is always delivered. Yes. And he's looking to evoke a different thing. And sometimes I think you need the title to help it along a little bit. But even if you didn't, you could kind of get there. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's not much to say. This is great. This is, we've, we've entered into this other green world and or is it another it's just another one in a sequence i guess yes we get these little paintings these oral paintings it's very pleasant yes but it brings us into track three which is another song fripp's back he's playing now help me with this pronunciation whimhurst guitar whimhurst guitar spelled w-i-m-s-h-u-r-s-t yes that's correct. So, <laughs> Robert doing that, and I'll explain what that is in a second. So, Eno's playing organ, piano, Yamaha bass pedals. If you've ever seen those, it's an old synth. Synthetic percussion, desert guitars are back in vocals. And so, Eno, he said, on St. Elmo's Fire, I had this idea. I said to Fripp, do you know what a Wimhurst machine is? It's a device for generating very high voltages, which then leap between two poles. And it has a certain erratic contour. And he goes on to say, you have to imagine a guitar line that has that very fast and unpredictable. And he played that part to me, which was very much the description of what he just said. Yeah. And so that's the guitar solo you hear on this record. And it's amazing. It is. I didn't know if it was synth or guitar when I was listening to it the first time. Then I, I read or saw something similar to what you were saying about this. Wow. It doesn't make the song, but it, it definitely makes the song rise above, I think. Yeah. This is my favorite on the record. Hooked me right away. I felt an immediate emotional connection to this song. I play it a lot. He uses the piano in this one as percussion in, in a way. Right. The way he's playing it. And there's also like a flute or a recorder or something. Maybe a synth effect that's dancing around the August Moon chorus. Uh, what a great chorus, right? Yeah, and... Really exceptional lyrics. I pulled this stanza out. Brown eyes and I was tired. We had walked and we had scrambled through the moors and through the briars, through the endless blue meanders in the blue August moon. Over the nights and through the fires, we were surging down the wires, through the towns and on the highways, through the storms in all their thundering. In all that thundering in the blue August moon. In the cool August moon. It's August when we're recording this, folks. It is. It is. Not hot at all. Coincidence. Coincidence. Hot enough for you out there. Oblique strategy. (laughs) Don't go outside. My eyebrows are above my hairline right now. (laughs) Woo! 
I found an article that quotes a guy who wrote a book about Brian Eno, a guy named Eric Tam. Mm-hmm. And he said of this track, St. Elmo's Fire is the most unblushingly popish song Eno has ever committed to record. Huh. It was doubtless prominent in the minds of those critics who called Another Green World Eno's most accessible album, which I... I think it's interesting because it's not inherently a poppy song necessarily. Yeah. Certainly in the context of this record, it sounds like, you know, Ariana Grande compared to the other stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. very poppy in by comparison, but never would I consider this like a top 40 hit or something. No, 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 no. And for 75, what was going on in 75 in pop music? It's just about to disco be disco and, times. Yeah. I mean, probably in the thick of disco at that point. Yeah. So St. Elmo's fire is a natural phenomenon caused by particles ripping apart the atmosphere. So, hence the line, splitting ions in the ether. (laughs) It mainly occurs in high places like tops of mountains and masts of ships. So, science boys writing songs about phenomenon. Not the movie. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that was a much better reference than mine. I liked phenomenon. No, I didn't like phenomenon. I don't recall phenomenon. Isn't that Travolta, and he thinks oh he has god. powers, but he's got a brain tumor? Ah, this phenomenon over here, oh my god. That's my Travolta. And Data is in it. Ah, the old Spiner. The old Spiner. <laughs> they call him old. Spiner in his Spiner web. And <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you are playing a robot on the television, oh my god. <laughs> Very good impressions these Thank days you. from you. Thank you. Not as good as Bad Nicholson. I do like Bad Nicholson. I gotta Nichol- tell you. I gotta tell you. This Eno cat, he... Sounds like I've never heard or seen Jack Nicholson before. <laughs> Your eyebrows are going in acute angles. Oh my God. That's so acute. My face impression, is, as you can hear, is much better than my voice impression. I'm feeling very obtuse. Listen, Travolta. <laughs> it gets better. It gets better. I need you to get your jet and take me to a blue August moon pizza pie pizzeria. <laughs> Just settle for a Scientology center. <laughs> I will. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Brad Nicholson just left. He, he fell out the window. Next track is In Dark Trees, another instrumental. Now, this is Eno solo. Guitar, mm. synthesizer, electric percussion. And treated rhythm generator. This one and the next one, I think, too. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, percussion on this one gets me again. I love it. Uh, there's like a wood block that like haunts this song. <laughs> the old haunted wood block. It's like a phantom wood block. You get the feeling they're in a forest somewhere. They get the yeah. feeling that they're lost and alone, maybe being stalked by someone or something you can't yeah. see. It's kind of unnerving. Definitely unnerving. Yeah. It's very exciting. This, But every song... Every track, every instrumental is its own little world. And I would assume that's where the title of the album is from. That's the Ah, whole point of this. Sure. So, yes, so In Dark Trees glides right into the big ship. Iovino on synthesizer, synthetic percussion, and treated rhythm generator. Okay, is that just what a Mellotron is? Because that is what... This sounds like there's a Mellotron on it. Yeah, it definitely does. And the Mellotron was the first synthesizer. Okay. All right. You where you have tapes. Yeah. You press the key and the tape loops in the machine. Got it. And there's a certain amount of, it's either you need a tape for each key or a tape is pitch bent over a small range. I think they were both that were created, but the true Mellotron is one key to one tape. 
good luck making that thing. <laughs> Company. This has been synth facts. They've reissued the Mellotron really? in the last five to ten years. Uh, hipsters love that shit. Hipsters do love old shit that is more conveniently available in other ways now, but... Yeah. You need the struggle, man. I love the struggle. So yeah, so songs like The Big Ship on this record start in the key of A, mm. and they it just lingers on one note this, this time. Yeah. Kind of like the way... The first track on the record at the one bass line holds it down. You have this one tone. And then it just accumulates these counter melodies. And the themes magnify and magnify and magnify. But you're always in this same zone. Sure. In Dark Trees, what's it like rolling through a forest? Oh, a tree, tree. You know, it's it's the same sensation, but you're moving through. Yeah. A big ship, like sailing. The ocean's constantly moving and changing. And it's it's the same, but it's not the same as you're going through it. Do yeah. I sound like an insane no. person? No, I get it. They're, these these are, are the images I get when yeah. you hear the music. Yeah, they're pastoral portraits, you know, and they're strung together to make you feel something. And I do, uh, I don't have much to say about In Dark Trees or The Big Ship because yeah, me neither. they are little, they're almost like Polaroids. They're little wafting imagery right. that is meant to take you from place to place but doesn't I feel like the emotional weight of this record doesn't come from any individual track it comes from the combination of all of them together this is one where I don't think you could pick any out you kind of need the thing all in place yeah so sometimes I don't have much to say about a single track because it only works for me in conjunction with everything else and four and five here point of I think the album yeah four and five are these instrumentals that set you up for a big knock yeah. in the head with I'll Come Running. The second more, or the third, I guess, more poppy or standard rock song-ish, even though it's not. <laughs> but it was an instant favorite for me. I love the drone quality to I'll Come Running. Just waiting seasons change. Uh-huh. You'll see one day these dreams will pull you through my door. And I'll come running to tie your shoes. I'll come running to tie your shoe. I'll come running to tie your shoe. It's funny that he zeroes in on tying a shoelace as this intimate expression of help and affection and yeah. love. It's it's visceral the way he treats that lyric because it's such a small detail. Tiny. But the instant you hear that, only someone you trust or know on an intimate level is ever going to tie your shoe. That's true. You think of maybe your parents, maybe a close relative. I don't think. Many. Outside of that. Maybe a bo- like maybe a, your wife. I could see a boyfriend doing that to a girlfriend. Maybe. I don't know. It's It's... It's so specific. <laughs> it's very, very specific. That is very effective. And that's how he makes records. Yeah. If he's dialing in these tones and even the way he names. And that's why I'm listing all of these because I find it so fascinating how he's labeled the instrumentation for what you hear in the record. Yeah. So Eno on this one is vocals, castanet guitars, because they're playing the guitars like a percussion instrument. Yeah. Right? Chord, piano, synthesizer, synthetic percussion, more of that stuff you like. 
And then Rod Melvin's on lead piano, Paul Rudolph, bass, snare drums, bass guitar, assistant castanet guitarist probably helping because they're hitting it with something like drumstick or something like that. Yeah. And then Fripp on restrained lead guitar. (laughs) Whether it meant that literally or... (laughs) Chevy Chase-style restrained lead guitar. This is just a great pop song. I love this little song. And there are a lot of interesting versions of him doing this live, because in the Eno sense, he would change the arrangement or maybe have more of a rock feel to it really cool stuff i'll come running this is one of the ones that was brought to the session that's right maybe one of the only ones yeah it was was a different song it was yeah it was different entirely and they brought it in and cleaned it up with the rest of those musicians it would have been nice to have phil on this one but maybe but maybe not yeah i don't know there's uh i like the drumming i like the uh it's kind of happy-go-lucky kind of drumming quality to it got a little bit of a harry vibe on this one for me which i guess yeah which i say anytime something sounds a little i don't know whimsical childlike or whimsical yeah and then that leads us into the title track of the song which is like the shortest (laughs) most effervescent of his instrumentals i think another green world that's the farfisa organ Uh, the farfisa yeah piano desert guitars if you Listen to this podcast and you listen to this album, whether you've heard it or not, it's worth it to check out Brian's ambient material. Because mm-hmm. this, okay, it's 75, new wave's about to happen. Yep. What is it? It's arena rock at this point? It's bowling? Kiss. Kiss, big big time stuff. So you have Bowie. a good, We're five years after the Beatles. Queen. Bowie, Queen. Brian is about to take the world into this ambient zone, but he's still throwing songs out in between these pieces. You could argue, there's probably some buddy who's already written this paper where each of these tracks almost sounds as if it's a chapter later in his career. Oh, uh, yeah. He does an ambient record on the moon. He Not literally, about is what I mean to say. Yeah. The airport's record. There's so many of these things to check out. There's this album of music for films, but the films were never made. <laughs> and That's it was cool. like meant that. to fit in films, but then when filmmakers tried to put the music for films in films, they didn't work. Right. Because they were, this is the type of cerebral guy you're dealing with. There's also a homespun quality to this one for me. It was a little McCartney 2 ish in places. And I guess released before McCartney was even thinking about that, but. This one was relatable in that it felt like it could fall apart at any moment, but it still had a determination about it. Right. An interesting side closer for side one. Very. Yeah. So then we flip the record over, Somber Reptiles. Yeah. Another interesting way to open. Yeah. (laughs) Because if there was ever a sound to describe Somber Reptiles, it would be this. This is it right here. You have your synthetic and Peruvian percussion all over the place. And like what you're hearing, he even says in here, it's electric elements and unnatural sounds. Mm. Yeah. But a purely Brian Eno solo record. So that's, as you're saying, McCartney 2. Yeah. That's where 
this is coming from. So if I'm understanding the methodology here, he takes a riff or a movement, let's call it, and he builds out from there. So it's a sound picture at that point. Everything is riffing off the thing that came before in a kind of a ripple effect. Yes. Okay. This was a great example of where that is super effective because I, w- I wouldn't even call it substance necessarily, but it's, it's a, yeah, it's like drawing. He's like sound, yeah. he's sound drawing. He's painting for everybody. Do- not, do- not even doodling. But he's drawing. I feel like this is more of an illustration. Very definite images that he's painting in your minds with sound. You ever do that when you're drunk? Do you ever uh, sit across from a group of people and take a piece of paper and fold it in half and have somebody start a drawing that has lines protrude into the off the page, and then you flip it over, and the other person has to. No, that's such a great idea for a game. Yeah, and then when you unfold the paper, you get this strange portrait of two minds. This monster. Yeah. I would love to do that. This is kind of like that. This podcast is kind of like that. (laughs) The record parlor. The old record parlor. I'm so glad you tuned into the last episode of the season. (laughs) Into Little Fishes. So, prepared piano, Farfiz is back. So these instrumental pieces, I'm trying to pull some quotes here, have been described as highly imagistic. Like paintings done in sound that actually resemble their titles. Oh, there you go. Okay. And that's, again, <laughs> Paul says a bunch of shit. <laughs> I have a quote in my notes that just summarizes Boils it. Boils it down. Here's the simplest way you could have said yeah, it. Right. <laughs> I like this one. I, it's another one where I think the intended visual does translate. And it, I like the little funky effects. There's a sweet little tender piano walking through the different effects going on. It's, it's nice. Absolutely nice. Takes us into Golden Hours, which is the Fripp, Kale, Eno power trio. Yeah. Robert Fripp on Wimborn guitar, Kale on his famous viola, and then Eno credits himself with choppy organs, spasmodic percussion, club guitars, uncertain piano, and vocals. The narrator reflects on a lack of awareness of a time and place and describes his brain being turned into sand like a sand clock. It's as if he has been lost in time. So aging has caused the narrator to question his ability to read events and note their importance. He can no longer tell whether the event matters. In uh, I pulled this from Genius, the, the website that somebody wrote in. He can no longer tell whether an event matters in the long view of history, where he says, I can't see the lines I used to think Mm -hmm. I could read between. Great little line. I wrote that one down, too. Yeah. And so he's questioning whether it's his mental faculties that are deteriorating. But the other implied possibility is that simply existing for a longer period of time makes one aware of the folly and insignificance of many human activities and the lack of awareness we have of ourselves due to our faulty perceptions. I often think about that. I have a baby daughter at home, and I think about sometimes what she perceives the world to be, and everything must seem so important. And when you take a look back and you pull back on that scope, you realize just how impermanent and born out of confusion and desperation so many human activities are that when you're a child you take for granted you you take them to be this super important thing 
Right. You know, but then you realize it's just confused people. Definitely. Uh, I love the line in here. You'd be surprised at my degree of uncertainty. <laughs> I think that yeah, kind of sums it up. That. One of my favorite moments on the symphony he's crafting here. There's an urgency to the track, but not an aggressive one. Yeah. It feels more like the sound of your brain starting to fire on all pistons after that first cup of coffee in the morning. Mm. But there's Very also, cool. yeah, but there's also like a stopping point to that, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. Totally. Uh, I've and, come across a few people online who've grouped this song in with St. Elmo's Fire and I'll Come Running as the more straightforward songs on the record. And I think I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I would like to credit Soundbound on Genius for that description. I really, I read it and I really enjoyed it very much. So I included it there. The next track, Becalmed. Mm. Now this reminds me of the Airports albums. You have four minutes of something that does exactly what it tells you it's going to do. Yeah. After listening, you are calmed. Yeah. Very yeah. simple. Yeah. And it's just Eno on a... <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty much. Leslie Piano and Synthesizer. Yeah. Beautiful. If you like this style of recording, please check out the rest of Eno's music. You probably already have. But this is you're going to get tracks that are 50 minutes of this. Sure. Or up to 10,000 years or whatever that thing is <laughs> going on in the mountain. I need to look that up. So this one is... I don't know if it's the one I liked the least, but it is certainly the one where I was most conscious of the attempt that he was reaching toward, and it took me out of the record a little bit. I kept just thinking, hmm. oh, this is just songs you'd play while getting a massage or something, and it it made it feel less epic in a way right. to me. But then again, it's it still works. Like there's this spooky wind thing happening, and I'm I'm hearing a returning melody from some other tracks, I think, which is goes with the pop art symphony that this is trying to be. I think this album can be a little all over the place, but there is a through line. I found this quote online interesting from Lester Bangs of the Village Voice, who talked about this song and said, "One of those little pools of sound on the outskirts of silence." that seemed to me the logical consequence of letting the processes and technology share your conceptual burden. Wow. Which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I, I think I like this one less than some of the other little sound pictures he's painting. That's fair enough. Yeah. Well, the rest of the record, the last three songs are not songs, they're instrumentals. You yes. have Zaminal and Lava, that's one track, then... Everything merges with the night and spirits drifting. And so I'm saying that because for me, the album just glides off into the into the ether. Yeah. Zawinol Lava is the one that made me tear up. Really? Don't know why. Huh. We have the whole band, Phil, Percy, Paul, Rod, and Eno. And it seems as if it's more or less a take and then Eno's doing overdubs. Yeah. There is something to that track. It's really sad. <laughs> there's like a, that's the thing <laughs> there's the it's the negative space he's hitting and then you pair that with the pangs of the bass and for some reason that's just creating this crippling sensation hmm. when i when i listen to it anyway i don't know it tells a story to me when i was listening to it of innocent struggle which is the most devastating struggle i can think of wow that's beautiful paul Thanks. This is why you write the bullets and I, <laughs> more or less, am the Ed McMahon of this show. Ayo! 
Hey, hey, Johnny. I mean, think about it. There's nothing sadder than watching someone who doesn't deserve to be suffering or doesn't have an understanding as to why they're suffering, suffering. Yes. The more you know, the less you have sympathy right. or empathy. Yeah, you're right. There's a Because you feel pity, and pity is one of the saddest <laughs> things for, for both sides. Very not a nice thing. No, for no, no, for no, no one. person. Yeah. Don't pity me. I feel yeah. like that's in a lot of made-for-television things. How many days will the wet weather last? Oh, yeah, that also. <laughs> Mr. Costello. I said that this was an instrumental. It's not. Looking through the list, everything merges with the night. And this is where he's talking to Rosalie and Santiago. I love this little track. I like this too. There was a little hope in this one after the sadness before. And I love the vocal on this. It was downright joyful in spots. And I love the acoustic guitar with the little piano flourishes and the electric guitars coming Mm -hmm. in. It's a, I, I wrote it's, straightforward for this album like it's kind of a straightforward song seriously at this point yeah what have i gone through this is so much easier to take a listen to and this is the one where he uses in my mind the bass like the drum i don't even think there are any drums on this but he's hitting that bass with such purposeful you know placement yeah bass guitar piano that's brian turnington and then eno's on guitar and vocals yeah and yes, yeah, so Rosalie, I've been waiting all evening, possibly years. I don't know. I love the way he pronounces, by the way, Santiago. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Santiago. Santiago. Under the volcano floats like a cushion on the sea. Yet I can never sleep here. Everything ponders in the night. Mm. There is in advertising and even in a bit of hypnosis and these types of not in the negative sense, the positive sense, the clinical stuff that I've come across. Vagueness is important because you're trying to reflect back on a person so they create an image in their mind. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love a lot of this record. Yeah. My picture of what's happening is going to be different than your picture, and especially on the instrumentals. So it'd be interesting to know, and I don't suggest saying it now on air, what makes you cry about the song? Like that's mm-hmm. that's an artist touching you yes. by giving you back a piece of yourself. Yes. And that's why I love this record. I agree. I mean, really, my the note I had that opened and closed, and I know we're still going to talk about Spirits Drifting, but the note I had at the opening and the closing of this was, thank you for giving me this. Wow. I, well, yeah, we can talk about Spirits Drifting, the last song. So that's 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 what you felt at the end. It felt like a funeral for the album, actually. <laughs> a funeral, <laughs> and for our show. I think it's just we're canceled now. <laughs> I think this is just Eno on everything again. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even have any notes other than like it's really a fitting end for this perfect little ending. And I didn't know what to expect going into this album, but I'm so happy I found it. 
We talked a little bit over email and I was like, I think you just gave me my favorite shit and I don't know how to process it yeah. yet. Like, it takes a second. It took me... I didn't like to sing at all the first time I heard it. So I liked it on first listen, but my brain didn't know what to go do with it. Like, I don't know. I, I had some kind of disconnect happening. All I knew was that it was hitting me in certain ways and I couldn't quite figure out why. Yeah, it's a re... Probably because Eno was reconfiguring his life, his career. Yeah. And... You think of, of how many artists he's produced and worked with and how many of those songs are ubiquitous. Things yes. like U2 or Talking Heads that have made their way into the popular culture. This is where he was planting the seeds to be able to do that work. Yeah. And so you're hearing him change the fabric of not only music, but popular culture and therefore humanity. Yes. <laughs> and so maybe that's an appropriate way to feel about the record. Maybe not. I wanted to avert my gaze. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to live in my comfortable web of Beatles pop songs. Yeah. And when you hear this, you're like, oh, shit. There's a universe without and within. The whole game changed five years after the Beatles ended. And, he, and and I mean, not just this no, I'm not saying this one record changed all of pop music. There were a lot of things like this that happened in the 70s. And I'm so glad to have shared it with you. Of all the albums you've given me, I think I'm most thankful for this one. Although, Randy's a close second. Randy? Yeah, I was, I was actually listening to our Randy episode earlier today. <laughs> and that episode cheered me up to the point where I'll probably be listening to Randy on the way home. <laughs> but that's some self-referential shit right there. No, I, I've, of the bunch, I think those were the two that hit me the most on a guttural level. Well, I can't wait to see the Randy Newman, Brian Eno, Friptronics <laughs> tour. <laughs> In which Christmas to Cape Town is 40 minutes long. <laughs> and there's not just one N-word. Now there's 40 of now them. Now there's 40. And they are they are I, desert <laughs> F-words. <laughs> Friptronics F-words. But yeah, so I mean, just to sort of wrap things up, this album, everywhere I looked, every single place I looked, got a perfect score. Mm -hmm. Robert Crisco... A plus, all music, five out of five, blender, five out of five, pitchfork, a 10 out of 10. I saw in the limited research that I did that this didn't chart anywhere except weirdly number 24 in New Zealand at the time, but it's listed in just about every most important albums of all time list Yeah, that you can find out there. Yeah. In France, in Germany, Greece, Israel, Italy, Mexico, Singapore, UK, United States, Think of all of the top critics in all those places, and they've placed it on some kind of... <laughs> yeah. I'll, just, I'll read some random ones here. The 100 Most Progressive Albums, the Top 100 Albums of the 1970s, the 1,000 Best Albums of All Time, <laughs> Personal 40 Best Albums from the 70s from Robert Crisco, All-Time Top 100 Albums. There's a album's worth of lists of records that this thing has been given. Yeah. Accolades, it's one. Well, it's aged well. When you listen to this, it sounds modern, for God's sake. Yeah. That's what Q Magazine said. It was breathtakingly ahead of its time. Yeah. And I don't disagree. That's usually just what people say to be nice. It's true. And in this case, it was totally true. It's just the truth. Hey, I've heard people say that about our podcast. <laughs> it's ahead of its time. <laughs> I've heard that a few times. And I 
can't remember if it was a dream or not. It's or usually just, me. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. you. That's what I Sometimes meant to I say. Sometimes I call you out of the blue and just tell you, I think we're ahead of our we're time. We're ahead of our time. It is 3 a.m. <laughs> and you sound drunk, Paul. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and so a few other little quotes I've pulled. Lester Bangs of The Village Voice and said that those little pools of sound on the outskirts of silence seem to me the logical consequence of letting the processes and technology share your conceptual burden. Kind of a cool little thing to say. Oh, yeah, that's one I pulled out. Charlie Walters of Rolling Stone said it was a major triumph, and Eno's creative risks so consistently pan out and said that it's indeed an important record and also a brilliant one. Robert Christigo finally say that name right. I've been saying it wrong up until this point. Nailed it. Originally gave the album an A minus and admitted he resisted the album at first. That's why I love this guy. His reviews are always <laughs> my favorite reviews. But ultimately grew to love every minute of its arty little collection of static synthesizer pieces with vocals, percussion, and guitar. And, you know, there's a bunch of lists he puts it on. So this album... There's all kinds of it. You go if you want to read more about this album. Listen to it first. There's a lot to read about. There's a lot to consume. Yeah. We just wanted to make sure that you heard it. I wanted to make sure you heard it. I'm happy you did. And you hear it in the future. And that's now hear this season one. Go go you little fishes and listen to all these records. Write us. Listen to the playlists. Again, it's now hear this official at gmail.com. We're on all the social media. We want to have a conversation. And you know what? Should we come back? Do you want us back? Ooh, should we? Tell us. Mystery. Unsolved mystery. Maybe we'll do something. I don't know. Maybe there's something else coming up. Who knows? Yeah. So we will see you all next time. We'll see you next time. Some fun surprises in store. Thank you for listening to this season. We really appreciate it. We've had an awful lot of time. <laughs> We've had an awful lot of fun putting we, this show I've together. I've had an awful lot of time putting this fun together. <laughs> and uh, we hope you got as much out of this exchange as we did. And if you have a favorite album that you would like to submit for our consideration. Favorite album you know consideration. What? Send it over. Send it. Maybe we'll do a segment at the top of season two where we just go, hey, so-and-so from so-and-so has told us to listen to this thing. Jimmy Page from the moon sent yeah. in. <laughs> Jimmy Page sent in from 1776 where he lives right now. <laughs> That's where he always lives. It's just in a time loop bubble. Send us some music. Yeah. We're here. We're listening. The Great Album Exchange. That's this. And now, hear this and goodbye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at, at Now Hear This Podcast on Instagram, at Now Hear This Pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Now Hear This Podcast, or email us at Now Hear This Official at gmail.com. See you next time. Fernanda. You know, sometimes we just, we reach for the stars and we just come back full with a whole lot of... Full Full <laughs> fistful of... Why don't you write us in... Space farts. What's a good way to say the opposite of begat? Belloc. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute 
mm. to help keeping these now hear this episodes coming well they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology boop, 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 that boop, boop, boop. Acast has developed for us that's right Acast has helped us out they host the show yeah our hosts Acast have made it really easy to donate to the show they have an Acast supporter feature and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show it can be five bucks a hundred bucks less than a dollar we don't care yeah just something to keep the lights on it's all out of pocket and we do this out of love and that's it and we love you all for listening thank you very much for doing that couldn't set it better myself <laughs> okay all right well bye then <laughs>